I'm Rob Skinner, and this is the Rob Skinner Podcast. Today on episode 78, I interview Todd and Patty Assad from Dallas, Texas. Todd and Patty lead a church of nearly 1,300 disciples. The Dallas church has been a bright spot of health and growth over the last 15 years. Here's what you'll learn. How they face failure, getting fired, and then went on to lead a consistently growing, healthy church. How a loving ministry philosophy can help change and grow stuck and stagnant disciples and ministries. How to become a kingdom connector and build better friendships. And how Patty's been able to lead while coping with a chronic illness. All this and more on the Rob Skinner Podcast. Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today we're going out to Dallas, Texas to talk to Todd and Patty Assad. Todd and Patty lead a church of over a thousand disciples and have for the past 10 or so years. I'm looking forward to talking to them today. They're good personal friends, and I'm happy to have them on the program today. Todd and Patty, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Thank you. We're Look, glad to be here. Looking forward to spending some time with you and your listeners. Me too. Me too. Todd and Patty, how'd you guys become Christians? You know what, Patty, why don't you go first? Okay. Well, um, it was back in 1980. And I had just, it was the beginning of my freshman year in college. Um, I had just turned 18. And I was just feeling like there was something missing in my life. And I actually even said that to a friend. And then the next day, somebody met me and invited me to what we called back then soul talk. I thought it sounded really strange, but I thought maybe I can meet nice Christian boys there. So I said, I'd go. (laughs) And I remember um, I went and met some of the women from church, some of the sisters, and I really liked them. Well, this was on a Wednesday And the person who met me, her name was Nancy. She invited me to go on a campus retreat with them that, that weekend, that Friday. And I don't know what made me go. I thought, sure, sounds fun. And I went, it was a couple of hours away. I mean, all kinds of goofy things went wrong. Like I remember we got on the bus to go and then they realized they don't have a driver. And so we had to wait two hours for them (laughs) to find a driver. But I went and I just loved it. And then Connie Mancini, Mark and Connie were leading the campus ministry there, asked me if I'd like to study the Bible. I went to church the next day. And this was even when we had church twice on Sundays. I went to Sunday evenings. I just loved it. And she asked me to study the Bible and she came over on Monday. We talked for a while. We started really studying Tuesday and it was just what I'd been looking for, what I needed. I wanted to get closer to God and I got baptized Friday. Oh, oh my gosh. One week, a little over yeah, a week. Yeah. 10 days from the day I was met. With Connie Mancini? 
Yeah, a lot that Connie wasn't the one that one of the other campus girls met me, but Mark and Connie were leading the ministry. They were super young too. I mean, what an incredible connection. Now they're on staff in your church. That's amazing. Oh yeah. It's really special getting to be with them again after all these years. I mean, because I still um look at them as my, you know, they're my spiritual parents. Wow. So it's good wow. having you. It's like one of those stories. It's like God brings things around. And I know Patty always loved the Mancinis deeply. And and for her and me, it was a treat uh, having them move here uh, about 10 years ago and serve on the staff. Wow. How about so, you, Todd? Yeah, my story is uh, I, I wish I sit, would uh, say I had a tender heart like Patty did. Uh, <laughs> but long story short, um, after graduating from high school, uh, did a couple years uh, in Danville, Illinois, moved up to Chicago to go to chiropractor school in the west suburbs of Chicago. And there, uh, uh, a young man named David Legere reached out to me and asked me to come to, um, to church. And, you know, we were studying and I remember just looking at him thinking church or Bible study. It's like guys are our age. Don't go to Bible study. And I just wanted to blow him off. And but it's interesting because during that time when I was in Chicago, I was writing a diary. And I remember thinking, man, just something's wrong. Something's wrong with with my um, what I'm doing. And I came at the, I don't know, maybe about three or four months, I said, I know what it is. It's my relationship with God. And so I decided to go with uh, Dave to church and met other disciples and started studying the Bible uh, with um, Marty Fuquay, Terry Stanfield. And I just, um, I was, I would say I was pretty immature and kind of out in left field, but man, I loved the body. Uh, I loved the church. And I think the more as I studied the Bible, the more I started to get convicted uh, that I wasn't following it. I was a hypocrite and I saw that I was a hypocrite. And so I had a decision I had to make is either A, I'm going to continue to be a hypocrite or I'm going to change and uh, not be a hypocrite. And I hated hypocrisy. And I realized I was the biggest hypocrite there was. And so, uh, you know, I became a disciple and back in the early days of Chicago, I think the Man, when I first started going to church, I think the Chicago church was like 40 members or something. Wow. So what year was that, Todd? Golly, 82, maybe. Um, 82, 83. Isn't that when they planted the church? Didn't they plant it in 82? Yeah, I was right. I was like, that was like one of the probably first people that got reached out to. Oh, my um, gosh. And how, so, how old were you at the time? You're, you're in chiropractic school. Yeah, I was like uh, maybe 20. 21 when I became a disciple. Wow. Okay. Powerful. So, so you're in part, that's, that's what's one thing that's really interesting about you, Todd. Maybe people don't know you are a doctor of chiropractic. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. So and, uh, you became a Christian. How many more years did you study it? Um, I finished my degree. Um, you know, I think they were hinting around for me to go into ministry. And I was like, man, I'm so involved in the chiropractic school and financially. Um, and I'm like, I need to finish my school before I, you know, do anything else. And so I suffered for like five years and it was great discipling because, um, you know, it really made me push myself in areas that I needed to. And so I actually ended up getting my degree, but then went into the ministry, uh, before I could really practice. Wow. What a sacrifice. How, I mean, how did you, 
how could you make that choice? I mean, for people that are, are working a job or they pour time into a particular career, what helped you to make that kind of a decision? Like, I'm going to do ministry. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think one of the reasons I went into chiropractor school is, you know, my grandmother used to go to a chiropractor and it really helped her out a lot physically. And I remember, you know, having a desire, I wanted to help other people. And so that was one of the reasons I went into chiropractic. And, you know, then I was an intern for the church uh, when I was going to school. And I remember thinking when I was asked if I wanted to go into ministry, I was like, well, you know, I can help people physically for a few days or I can help people eternity uh, by being in the ministry. And uh, that was when I made my decision uh, to go into ministry. Now, it, it helped that I was dating Patty and she was very attractive. And so, you know, it was fun, you know, working with her in the ministry. So that was a benefit there. I was in the ministry before I met Todd. Okay, so let's talk about that. So, Patty, how and when did you know that Todd was the one for you? <laughs> yeah, that's such a fun question because I really do look at it that other than my salvation, Todd is the greatest blessing <laughs> in my life. I really did did he pay you to say that? I mean, what... Was there yeah, some, I have some... it written. He wrote it out right here for me to look at. Yeah. But um, honestly, it's happened. And I look back, it's just a blessing from God. I was so immature. I didn't know what I was looking for. And I remember it was so funny. I knew I wanted someone spiritual and all these things. But I went on a date with Todd. And I didn't even want to go. And because one of my roommates kind of liked him. I thought, well, I'll just go and talk up her, you know. I think I fell in love on that first date. I mean, wow. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is a man I want to marry, but it was the most fun first date I had ever had. Wow. And so I started really praying about, and this is what I'm talking about, my immaturity. I prayed some of the dumbest prayers, <laughs> but God in his mercy answered them anyway. And I just felt like God wanted me with Todd. Like, it was really funny. One time, we would always be on double dates and with large groups. And I felt like we never really got to talk. And on one of our dates, we were driving, we were all caravanning somewhere and Todd got lost and ended up going about 10 miles out of our way before we made our back way back. But it meant we really got to have this great conversation. And so I felt like that was an answer from God. Mm. And I, I debated if I should even share this. This is so stupid. Here Todd's working on his doctorate. But we were always just having so much fun and being so goofy together. I remember praying, but Lord, is Todd really smart? <laughs> and of course, Todd is brilliant. <laughs> and I don't know what made me pray that. Well, the next time we go out, Todd is telling me all about some sort of classic Greek philosopher he was reading at the time. And I don't remember who it was. And I thought, okay, that was another little box I checked off. And then I remember praying, because I was already in the ministry and Todd was still in school. And I remember thinking, okay, can, I really want someone who can lead me spiritually. And this, this is such a shallow thing, but it got my attention that next, but right after I prayed that Todd and two, um, brothers, young guys that he had baptized, started a Bible talk. Their first week, they had 17 visitors. In just that month, Todd studied the Bible with four guys that got baptized that month. Oh, my God. So, and so I felt like this was this amazing answer to my prayer from God. But I look back at it now, you know, at 
my age now and they are, oh, that was ridiculous. I can't believe I was praying such stupid prayers. But, you know, it's funny how God meets us where we are. Right. Wow. So did, Todd, you're about six foot four. Was that any, did that play any role, just how, how tall and handsome he was? <laughs> there you go. Well, oh, of course it did. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from the spiritual factor and how smart he was. <laughs> well, I wanted someone who was funny. Yeah. And Todd was just so much fun. That was huge for me. Okay. So what year did you guys get married? 88. 88. Okay. So it took a while for you guys to get married. And then can you quickly just recap your ministry career? How Okay. From being in Chicago together to now being in Dallas, Texas, where have you been? Where's God brought you? Man. So, hey, can I ask, can I say one thing real quick about you, you uh, got it. when I met Patty? Please. So one of the things I would just say, you know, one of my um, one of my attitudes when I was a single guy is I really wanted to encourage the single sisters. So I made it in, you know, kind of a not a mission, but a, a philosophy, an attitude that, man, I'm going to take the sisters out and I want to show them. I want to encourage them um, because it's tough. It's hard being a single woman uh, in the church and. And so I remember just um, trying to make dates fun. And I remember that first date I had with Patty, we had fun. And it, it was, it was so encouraging. And, you know, I was still pretty immature. But I remember um, just building that friendship with Patty. And I think that's when, you know, I kind of knew she was the one because Patty became my best friend. So um, kind of looking over our, our ministry career, uh, after we started dating, we actually moved to um, St. Louis. We we're there for about almost two years uh, in the church there. That's where we got married. Uh, after St. Louis, we moved to Cincinnati. We were there for less than a year. Then we moved to Indianapolis, where both of our boys were born. And we want to give a big shout out to them. We love them, have a great relationship uh, with both our boys. Uh, and then we... Um, moved back to Chicago for two years. And so uh, we went, we, what I call the Midwest tour. Yeah. Then uh, long story short, and that's part of our story is that we got out of the ministry in uh, Chicago and uh, moved to Dallas. And that was golly, almost 24 years ago. In 96. Of 96. Wow. Okay, we'll talk more about that. So you've been in Dallas for twenty four years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you're you're a southern you're a southern girl, right, Patty? Yes. You can. Yeah, I can't hide it. I felt like I'd come home when I moved here. <laughs> and you, I think you told me you're born in Louisiana, isn't that right? Uh -huh. Yes. Okay. Are, are you familiar with the Duck Dynasty characters? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Those aren't your cousins, are they? Yeah. Could be. Well, they could be. <laughs> Okay. I have cousins who noodle. Do you know what that is? Uh, with the catfish? Fishing. Yes, oh. when you put your hand in a, a dark hole and wait for the fish to bite it and pull it out. Oh, my. That is like, like my worst nightmare. Just the wrong. thought of that is like, oh, gosh. Yeah. I can't believe yeah. to do that. No way. No way. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit. You've had a long career, been in, out of the ministry. You gave up a, a, a potentially incredibly profitable career to go into the ministry. What's one thing you wish you'd known when you began your career in the ministry way back in 88 or so? 
Yeah, that's a hard question. I, I think the main thing is I wish I just relaxed more and had fun with it. I look back, I think some of it's just being in your 20s is how things are, but you feel like you know, you're starting your life out, you have to do everything well. And I put so much pressure on myself. And yes, I had fun with my friends and all that, but I look back at it and I feel like I just had this anxiety and this, um, how do I want to put it? I had to prove myself mentality. And I wish I could have changed that sooner. Yeah, I think for me, boy, it's hard. I mean, I, I agree with Patty. There's there's a bunch of different things I'd like to say, but maybe I wish I would have learned how to be more humble or vulnerable about how I felt about things. I think I could, you know, I, I looked at my first 10 years, literally, Rob, my first 10 years as a disciple, and I, I affectionately call it the decade of ignorance. Mm. I, I think of my first decade as a disciple and I'm like, where was I? <laughs> it just didn't seem like things were clicking in some ways. And, and I think if I would have been more vulnerable to be, you know, open about what I was feeling, thinking, uh, engaging uh, with people versus kind of like putting up a veneer, you know, a facade and just kind of going with the flow versus getting deeper. Uh, I think it would have helped me uh, probably be a better husband, better father, um, you know, better friend to people. And so I, I would say that's probably the big thing. Why would you call it a decade of ignorance? <sighs> Boy, you know, I, I just think I had conviction, but I look back and maybe in a, in a sense of regret that I wish I would have done things differently the first 10 years as a disciple. And so I, I realize, and I go, I go back to that vulnerability, that openness and just trust God and not worry about what people thought, but more what God thought. But I think I needed to learn how to express that with people. And so I think it, it would have helped me. I think, again, it would have helped me be a better friend, leader, uh, partner. So that's why. Can you, can you point out a particular instance where you could go back and do it differently? Any, any snippet from your life where you go, man, if I were to do it over again, if I could go back in time, here's how I would have handled that situation. Um, I think, I think, uh, boy, that's, the, I can give you probably about a dozen different examples. Well, just an easy one. I, I think purity, just maybe not struggling with some of the purity things um, that a lot of men go through. And I think if I was more vulnerable and open, uh, instead of trying to deal with it myself and being humble, about pulling other brothers in, it might have protected uh, me a little bit more. And so, you know, I think I've learned that and over the last decades, but, you know, again, I, we became a disciples in the early eighties. So we've been doing this now for almost 40 years. And I just wish I was, wish I was, um, I grew in that area quicker. Mm. Okay. L along with that, what's, what do you consider to be your biggest failure? or setback and what'd you guys learn from it? You know, probably was when we were let go from the ministry in 1996 in Chicago. And there were a lot of reasons that were given. There were just some bad dynamics going on. And someone had, had told some stories about us that weren't even true. 
And when we were let go, those were used as the basis for um, us being let go. And, but the funny thing is, is I look back on it and we needed to be fired so bad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not that we, we were growing our ministry, we were doing all sorts of things, but we just had to learn some character things. And now I'm just so grateful for it. For example, when Tom talked about vulnerability, I wasn't vulnerable either. I, I didn't know how, I remember sisters trying to talk to me about it and it just did not click for me. I would think I was so vulnerable because anytime something violated my conscience, I would get that out. I would confess it, but I didn't know how to really get out what I was feeling. Therefore, if I felt insecurities or hurts, they would just stay in my heart and fester. And finally, after everything that had happened to us being um, fired and, and moving to Texas, because we were out of the ministry our first two years here, I, I was just feeling so desperate to lurk, work through the hurts of what had happened. It out of desperation, I feel like for the first time, I learned to be really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And this would be no big deal for a normal person. But I remember calling up another sister and who was trying to help me at the time and just saying, I'm so depressed. I don't know what to do. Cause I felt like I had no role anymore. I was really, really sick. Um, you know, I was, Todd was having to travel all the time with his job and it would normally that wouldn't be a big deal. But for me, that was huge. Mm -hmm. And she was wonderful to me. I felt like I had a safe place to be really open. It's really funny. I've asked her since she didn't even remember it. But this was such a milestone for me. And through learning to be vulnerable, I would say on a scale of one to 10, my joy probably went to a, from a four up to a nine. Mm. And because I finally learned how to get things out and work through it and the hurts no longer festered in my, in my heart. In any D group I had, anything I shared about, that was about all I could talk about for about two years because mm. it was such an eye opener for wow. me. Wow. So even though it was so hard, I'm just so grateful for it because I feel like I learned all these lessons through that that I really, really needed. Wow. Yeah. And I, I would say, again, it's very similar, um, you know, because we've been married now for almost 40 years, but a lot of these are very similar because we're, we did it together. And, you know, the, one of the questions you asked about what I wish I knew when I started the ministry or began my career in the ministry but it's, it's the, the biggest failure, I think, uh, along with what I shared about the humility aspect of it. I think I was, I was a big people pleaser. Mm. I, I really did care more about what people thought versus what God thought. And I think I, I just, I wasn't open. I wasn't vulnerable. I wasn't willing to fight for what I believe God um, was trying to teach us and train us. And went along and did things more out of fear for people than being concerned about what God thought. Mm. And I think that led, uh, partially led to us being fired. And I, I think it, it was, it was a good purging of, of people, people, um, pleasing, uh, when we were out of the ministry and, you know, that, that's a, that's a big part of our story because, you know, when we got fired in the ministry, we moved to Dallas you know, we had a very strong conviction is that, well, we're disciples of Jesus. 
And I remember Nick Young asked us if we wanted to uh, lead a family group, actually two family groups. And we're like, well, hey, we were disciples before we went in the ministry and we're going to be disciples now. And so we started leading a, a family group and overseeing another one. And literally for two years, um, I think Patty and I met like eight people that personally we met that became disciples. Wow. I think like, like over 20 people were baptized in those two groups. And I think we had a few people walk away, but it was, it was just so refreshing, loving people, being concerned about what God thinks versus what man thinks. And what I really appreciate is that I was able to say some things here in the early years of our time in Dallas that because we were trying to be a part of the solution in the Dallas church, Nick and other people, they took the time to listen because they saw we were really trying hard, but we we're willing to, to step up and maybe talk about things that we saw um, that we wanted to address, or maybe we even disagreed with. But again, we were, part, we were trying to be a part of the solution, not just sit back and be critical. And so I, I would say some of our greatest failures set us up for the last, you know, 24 years here in the Dallas church. Wow. That's powerful. I was reading some, Oh, go ahead, Patty. Oh, I was just going to say, if we had learned to be vulnerable sooner, I don't think things would have headed South in Chicago quite the way they did, because I think people would have asked us, so what's really going on? They would have known our hearts, but because we weren't vulnerable, people just really didn't know us. So when things someone was saying some kind of odd things about us and all that, they were very quick to believe it. But I, I put that on myself because yeah. people didn't know us, yeah. our hearts. Yeah. And you know, we worked through it, got great relationships and I tease AT Arneson all the time that, you know, you guys fired me. Um, but it wasn't, <laughs> he, wasn't right. leading it, he wasn't leading the church. So <laughs> I mess with them all the time. <laughs> I, I was reading a, an article about ministry careers and it was sobering because one of the statistics that I, I read was over 90% of people that start out in the ministry do not finish in the ministry. It's ministry has one of the highest attrition rates of any career out there. And you guys have been in the ministry now almost 40 years. What, what do you attribute attribute that just hanging on of course you were out there for a little while out for a couple of years what's helped you well and let me jump in i'll say this and i'd like to hear what patty wants to say so being out of the ministry for two years was actually really really good for us um, especially for me because uh, one i think what happened is that finishing chiropractor school then being in the ministry for literally a decade in the midwest um moved to Dallas because I couldn't find a job in Chicago, found a job here in Dallas literally in three days. And so we was like, well, God wants us here in Dallas. And so I had this job. Were you doing chiropractic then? Oh, no, no. It'd be almost impossible to go back into that because I'd have to get licensed and I go see. back to school. And uh, I had to go into a job that I could support my wife and two kids uh, and make enough money. Now, we were pretty poor that first year. But it was a uh, sales job and bro, I did well. I mean, after the first year, I mean, we bought a house, bought a truck. Uh, I was, I was actually doing a really good <laughs> job. This is yeah, the is country Texas. music. Sounds like a country music song starting right there. Exactly. Yeah. And so 
but what it was, it was, it was really good for my self-esteem because I think I had really poor self-esteem of, of what I was, who I was or what I was capable of. I didn't, didn't have good theology in the sense of how I was valued by God and other people. And so I think with working in those two years and, and God blessing that my self-esteem was raised up and I think it really helped me uh, be secure and, and what I believed and my convictions. And again, talking to other people here in the church and, and it, and it really helped develop um, how we treat people, uh, how we lead people, my discipling, our discipling took another step uh, in the sense of, Hey, you know, God's way does work. Linda Brumley used to say that all the time, God's way always works. And we believe this. So, Hey, we're going to do it God's way. But because my maybe security grew, uh, my confidence grew, my ability to love people grew, um, we were able to really engage uh, the ministries that we led over the last you know, 22 years here and just really love people. And I think, you know, being able to do it now for 20 plus years here in, in Dallas and then the 10 years in, in the Midwest is I think one of the reasons why we've had such longevity is because we were able to take seriously the lessons God was teaching us over the last three plus decades and really love people, love them, but, but lead in such a way that uh, it's not, it's a lifestyle. It's not a, um, you know, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, like a flash or a, you know, work real hard and then rest, work real hard and rest. It's like, no, no, there's a consistency of, this is a lifestyle. Mm. And so, but I think part of it was I, I had to grow in my confidence, my understanding of God and, and really learn how to love people. Um, longevity in the ministry. That's a good question. I feel like it's been different things at different times. And for me, I've been in and out more than Todd, and I'll get to that in a second. Um, but it's been a different issue each time I've had to root out on my my character. Like the first time I was working as a reporter somewhere and I loved it. This was before <laughs> I ever met Todd. And but there was just something in me that didn't want, want that distraction. I felt like God wanted me to go in the ministry. And I prayed about it and prayed about it. And finally quit my job and moved somewhere to, to train for the ministry. And it was all of a sudden this peace came over me because I felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Mm. And then after we got fired, that had been such a, a hard time. I had a real fear of going back in the ministry. And I realized I had to, that drawn lines in my heart of places I didn't want to go for God. And I knew I had to work through that. Mm. And so I did. And then it was really funny the next time that there are financial problems in Dallas in 2003 and the women were taken off staff. And so again, I went back to writing and at first it was really, really hard the first year. Then the second year, it was really, really fun. I mean, the work was, I was freelancing, the work was coming in, magazine, newspaper. I liked the types of stories I was doing. I was getting to do a humor column. I mean, for me, that was just the ultimate. 
and then I'm asked to go back in the full-time ministry. And at first I knew it was the right thing to do, but it was hard. Mm. I didn't want to, and God made it a little easier. Some of the editors I'd been working with quit their jobs and moved on. So it's gonna have to make form all new relationships in the business and stuff. So that made it a little bit easier, but um, I did it in the beginning out of a sense of duty, but I prayed for God to give me the love back for it. And he really did. Wow. I mean, there is nothing else I want to do, but I just wanted to make sure, you know, I wanted to be pleasing to God. Do I think you can be pleasing to God outside the ministry? Absolutely. But I felt like for me, that's what God was leading me to do. Right. And even when my heart wasn't in it, when I'd pray about it, God just gave that passion and love for it back. Now it's like, you practically have to hold a gun to my head to get me to write anything. Mm. And when originally, you know, years ago, that's what I didn't want to give up. Right. Well, there's an additional uh, issue in that, Patty, you've had a longstanding chronic illness. And um, if you can share with us how that's affected your career and how you've, how you've managed to have such a long career in, in the face of that, can you, can you share with us about that? You know, in the beginning, actually, I was first diagnosed before, again, before I met Todd, and it was really scary because I was 21 and I'm thinking, I'm never going to feel good again. Why have a normal life? Why be able to get married, have children, all this sort of stuff? And um, I was actually an intern at that time. And one thing that's great about ministry is you do, yeah, you work a lot of hours, but you have flexibility. Mm-hmm. That really helped, but it also helped me work through some issues in my relationship with God. Because right after I knew I was probably going to be diagnosed with it, and I was so afraid, and I was in. Um, Excuse me. In, what, what what was the diagnosis? What what lupus? What, lupus. Okay. And can you describe and, for our listeners what that is and what are the symptoms? In the beginning, now it's joint, it's an arthritic condition. It's very closely related also to MS, autoimmune um, disease. And for me, it started out with fevers every afternoon and just extreme fatigue, just not fe- kind of feeling like I had the flu every afternoon. Okay. And uh, more symptoms have developed over the years, a lot more joint and muscle pain and all that. And the the weakness has gotten worse, but that was how it started. I realized I was running a fever every day. And that was when they started doing the battery of um, blood work to figure that out. Why? And, but it really helped me. I felt like when I was so sick, I I mean, for a while, I I think I was probably depressed. I, I got a little hopeless and I knew I had to work through it. In my head, I knew God did not stop loving us. But in my heart, I felt like he had. Wow. And I had to work through some things in my relationship with God to really see his love. Mm. And I had to do that by myself because I'd gone to live with my parents. and They had this house in the Ozarks at that time. I was far away from all my friends. Back then, we just had a telephone with the long cord in the kitchen. You oh, know? yeah. Yep. And if I'm working through all my feet, the whole family's hearing me. And, and I had to work through it with God. Mm. And he helped me. It really, I felt like during that time, it was a real milestone for me. I started to understand how much God really does love us just through things I read in the Old Testament that misinterpreted in the past, all sorts of things. And the thing I think that's helped over the years too, is I've realized I have to learn different ways of doing things. 
and figure out what works for me. For example, um, I have to be very, very specific in the way I talk. I mean, the way I, I, I train. And because I can't be like, if I'm training a campus woman to lead a campus ministry, I couldn't walk on campus with her. Part of lupus is you can't get sunlight. Um, I couldn't just be beating the pavement with her. And usually I didn't have the energy to do that either. And I had to figure out like, usually what I would do with these young women, I mean, I had talked to them over the phone or in person all the time, going through detail after detail. We'd talk before they had a study, we'd talk, I'd go over the study sometimes with them over the phone. This is what you say and how to do this, have them writing it down. And then they'd go do it. And then they'd call me. Then I would do, Oh, how'd it go? What'd you say? Mm. What'd she say? Mm -hmm. What'd you say? Mm -hmm. Oh, to me, it was torture. Oh. <laughs> they said it was, was helpful and they really learned. I was able without going on campus to raise up campus leaders, mm -hmm. which is kind of unusual might not work in every situation, but I tease the Dallas women. I only do that for a few months because I find it pretty torturous you know, until I feel like they know what they're doing and how to think. Right. And then I try to just do everything very relationally. But um, now I can't remember what I was going to say. Oh, <laughs> I tease the women all the time that they should be grateful that I'm sick or I'd be all in their business. Because <laughs> yeah, I think I would. Early on in our training of people, Todd used to say, okay, the, it, the issue with me is that I just throw people out in the water and expect them to swim. That doesn't work. But you get in there and you swim with them and you never stop. Mm. And I think having health issues has made me stop swimming with people and actually helped me to be a better leader. Yeah. There were a number of people in the, it seemed like it was an epidemic in the ministry in eighties and nineties with chronic illnesses, uh, fibromyalgia, chronic mm -hmm. fatigue syndrome, lupus. I know Erica, Erica Kim had lupus and now she's, she's healed of it. Thank God. Um, <clears throat> but you certainly weren't the only one. It's, it's amazing what you've been able to do and be sick. One, one question that it leads me to, there, there are a number of people that used to be in the ministry that are no longer in the ministry, and, and there's some that have walked away or, or you know, are, are just doing different things now spiritually, and for different reasons, not only um, maybe bitterness, maybe anger, maybe they got fired, and, and, and it really affected them spiritually, and there became kind of like a, a double standard, almost like like, well, if I'm not going to get paid in the ministry, I'm just, I'm not going to do well. Essentially, that's how it looked, that their um, identity in, in Christ got connected with their with their paycheck in the ministry. Any, any encouragement that you might give to those who've gone through rough times in the past, who, who've got their battle stories from uh, the church pre-2003, you, you guys are, are super upbeat you're loving, you're kind, you've come through it. You've, you've certainly got your stories to tell, but there's a positivity, there's a hopefulness, there's a, a joy. Any advice you might give to those who, who don't feel that way? Um, so, you know, thank you for asking that question. I think I want to be super sensitive on how I would answer that. Um, probably because everyone has their own story and just to make a, you know, a blanket statement or whitewash the wall and, you know, it, it, it's not good. So I can share from our perspective why we're where we're at. 
um, the things we go through our attitude and not necessarily say, well, you need to do this too. I think one of the things that I, I remember, I love to read. I love to learn. Uh, I, I probably, since I was a teenager, um, would read. And the more I read about the Bible, the old Testament, the new Testament, you see all the stories. It's like, we live in chaos. Mm -hmm. This world is a is a hard world and you just got to deal with that i think in america especially texas we live in a bubble and you know we think oh you become a christian everything is going to be great right that is, that is so unbiblical right uh, life's going to be rough and what whether or not it's going to come from the world or from the church or your family uh, I remember when I was out of the ministry, one of the lessons I learned is life's rough, life's mm -hmm. hard. Mm -hmm. And when I worked in the, out of the ministry for two years, I was physically fatigued. I wasn't emo or emotionally fatigued, but man, I worked hard and I was tired. But when I was in the ministry, I was emotionally fatigued. So I tell everybody now, it's like, hey guys, you're going to do anything. You're going to be tired. You're, you're going to go through hard times. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be physically tired or emotionally tired? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same way with just hardship and trials. It's like things that make you get on your knees and, and pray to God are probably a good thing. And you got to have a, you got to have a big view of God, not a little view of God. You got to see that God's leading. And there's just too many stories in the old Testament and the new Testament that don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. Keep, keep pushing. Keep, keep, you know, looking at me, you know, let's walk on the water, keep your sights on Jesus. And if you do that, things do change. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful. I, I don't think, you know, regrets. I, I look back and man, even the hard times, I don't regret. I hated them. Mm -hmm but I don't regret them because I think they molded us. They, they, they taught us lessons. And I think now we can take some of those lessons and engage other people. And maybe, maybe they can learn from our suffering uh, versus having to go through their own. And, you know, like David, you know, Oh, I fought the lions and the bears. Now oh, this guy Goliath is just like one of them. It's like, Oh my gosh. See, that's good theology. Right. You know, we, we're, we're fighting the lions and the bears and, we're getting ready for the Goliaths. Wow. Well, what stinks is like, well, what happens when the Goliaths come? What's after them? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like, oh my gosh. And the older we get, life's gonna get harder. Yeah. So you just you just gotta understand that. And you gotta you gotta have God in your sights and not not the world or your culture or right. your feelings. Right. That's great. That's great input. Can you guys name a, a few people who've been influential in your life? And, and why? Um, for me, usually it, it's been older women. And we moved around so much early on in ministry. I never had like one person that just kind of took me by the hand. But like Todd mentioned, I remember in Chicago the first time I was, um, well, I was so young and my children were young, actually the second time in Chicago, but um, 
and listening to Linda Brumley teach, and I have these little snippets, like I remember her saying, God's way always works. And I've teased her about it. So she goes, I said that really, (laughs) but I have used that and thought of that so many times, you know, as I'm trying to live like, okay, what is God's way? It's going to work if I'm doing it God's way. And I think of older, like here, Sally Hooper. I mean, she was ahead of me in life and just learning from her, imitating from her different things she did and said. That was just off the top of my head. I'm sure there have been so many women who have helped me that I've learned from, but the ones that come to mind first are the the older women. Mm -hmm. Some of them aren't that much older than me, but they're just ahead of me in life and maturity. That's great. Yeah. And I think you know, the, the people that I look back at our lives who are influential, that doesn't necessarily mean in a good way. They were just influential. <laughs> uh, but I think some of the positive ones, you know, I, I got converted in the early days of Chicago, Marty Fuquay. You know, he was like, hey, we want to start a church in Chicago, not one part of Chicago in that whole church. And, you know, he had a he had a kingdom view, a worldview, a, hey, we're going to we're going to take this, you know, 10 million plus people, you know, we're going to take the gospel. And I just remember understanding that as a, as a, maybe a visitor, a young disciple, and just realizing that. And I think, you know, Marty had a, Marty's faith of, of doing that in Chicago certainly inspired me. I'm very grateful for you know, I look back over the years, over the 40 years, you know, there's, there's different people that have done great things. I totally respect them. Uh, you know, here in, in Texas, Mike Tolliver and I, Mike's a great friend, a uh, great energy. partner. Yeah, both of them are. And I love working with them. Um, so they're definitely influential. Uh, but there's so many people. I, I hate to name names because sure. you, you forget one and it's like, oh, I should have said their name. Um right. But I'm um, just very grateful for the influence so many people gave us. Yeah. yeah. Todd, one thing I've, I've shared about you is you are definitely a kingdom connector. You're, you're super connected with people. You're a people's person. Uh, I've shared about you in my classes that you've got the phone habit. You're, I remember visiting you a few years ago to do a class, and you're on your phone a lot. Uh, you even shared that your, your ear gets sore from putting your phone to your ear. I'm sure you've got airpods now to relieve the pressure but he gets a little bruise right here (laughs) (laughs) what's what's helped you i mean where where'd that come from and what's helped you to build relationships and what advice would you give for those that 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 maybe are not so much that way yeah well you know who knows maybe some of it's biological um you know it's definitely we have great technology you know everybody's got a story Everybody's gone through stuff. And good theology teaches that when God created Adam, it was very good. He looks at man as very good. And I love getting to know people. What's your story? You know, who are you? What, how did you get here? What's happened to make you who you are? And I think that's an aspect of loving man like, like God loves us. And so I think, you know, my conviction is, you know, I have, I have a platform that I can love people, get to know people, uh, engage people. 
I can find out their story and, and be curious about who they are. And that's fun. I mean, honestly, that's probably one of the reasons Patty and I are married because our first date, it was just getting to know each other, mm-hmm. getting curious and hearing our story. I remember when I first got baptized uh, back in the early days of Chicago, you know, I didn't have kids, wasn't married. And I remember sitting there fellowshipping and it wasn't, it wasn't like to go up to a brother and do the three pat on the back and half a hug and <laughs> ask them how they're doing and then walk away after three minutes. I mean, we would sit down and talk literally like 20, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Sharon Ivy uh, in, in Tennessee remembers those days in the early days of Chicago, we would just sit there and you would fellowship. I mean, you got to know people mm. and their and their background, their history, and it really bonded people. And I, I've just been doing that. And so, you know, people are fun. We all have our idiosyncrasies, we're all broken, but when you can love somebody just for who they are and get mm. to know their story, man, it's so fulfilling, mm. so encouraging. And so, you know, for me, it's like, I like doing it. I enjoy hearing, getting to know people and loving people. Yeah. Patty, you feel the same way? Yes. I mean, I feel a little more limited than Todd because I have to rest so much and all that because of my health. But yeah, I love it. I love hearing people's stories, getting to know them. Um, you were talking earlier about some of the negative stuff and it's kind of a funny story. Uh, years ago, Todd and I were on a date and the negative stuff, I don't really blame people because God's used it all in such amazing ways. We were on a date and we were talking about all the stupid, sinful things, poor choices, whatever that we've done since we became Christians, mm-hmm. not even before. Right. Right. And you'd think, why would you want to talk about that on a date? It was so encouraging because we we were just felt so grateful. Look at what God is still doing though. God still uses us. God has kept us faithful. And it's just amazing how God works, even through the good relationships, the bad relationship, everything. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'd add to this also what Patty just shared, like for instance, again, things that made a huge impact on our life. When we got out of the ministry, and this is 10 years in the full-time ministry in the Midwest, Plus, in Chicago, the early days, becoming a disciple. So we get fired uh, in Chicago. We moved to Dallas. And I'm not exaggerating. Uh, during the two years we were here in Dallas, I re- we received, or I received, three telephone calls. And they were just, it was all business. Like, what about this? Why did this happen? Uh, Why did you do this? Nothing. No calls. How are you? How's Patty? How are the boys? You know, are you guys doing okay financially? Nothing mm. for anybody other than three business calls. And I remember the the situation. I remember the opportunity just to start thinking about that and getting bitter, just mm. angry about, I put 10 years of my life into the full-time ministry and this is it. And I thought about it some and I'm like, well, half of the problem is right here in Dallas. You know, that's me, (laughs) you know, the other half is in the Midwest and that's them. Well, at least I can start working on me. I can start working on how I love people, how I engage friendships. And so I would say 
with that realization, I started making some big changes on how I built friendships, wow. how I love people, how I engage people, how, how we as a couple, a family engage other families. And I would say, you know, almost now, almost a quarter of a century, it's been so encouraging and refreshing. We have more, we don't need any more friends. But we, we want them. We have, yeah, <laughs> we want more friends, but we have so many friends, real friends, deep friends, that God keeps blessing us building these relationships. And, but it's like, man, we, I, had to, I had to evaluate, how do I treat people? How do I love people? Yeah. And I think we've been, that's something that we've really gone after. And I think that's honestly a big part of what's happened here in the Dallas church um, over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah, we're going to get to that. It's just, it's very powerful. And I, I want to camp out on that a little bit because especially with COVID, I mean, people are feeling isolated. People are feeling lonely. And, you know, I, I think about my own phone, it doesn't, it doesn't ring a ton, you know, and, and it's just, so let me go back over that again. So when you moved to Dallas, after getting fired, you only over the course of those two years that you're working, you only received three phone calls from disciples. And the content of those calls was business. business. And oh, so, business. so no one called you from, from the Chicago or Midwest and the 10 years you'd spent there. No one, had, no one called you for two years. No, correct. Oh my gosh. Now that would, that would be tempting to feel bitter about that. Now, Patty got some calls from sisters and you know, the you women know how sisters are. Right, right. <laughs> they yeah. were being wonderful. They're more in touch, but I didn't get any calls and just business calls and bitterness was starting to grow. Right. Okay. That's very, very powerful. Okay. So let's, Let's talk a little bit uh, about the Texas churches because they've been growing consistently since you moved there. There's been steady growth. The church, I think you told me it's 1,200, 1,300 disciples. And uh, not only you, but you know, you've know you got a, a strong partner there with Mike Tolliver in the South and in San Antonio. Um, how, do you, how do you explain it? I, obviously, it's got to have some sort of connection there with what we just talked about, about being involved in people's lives. Yeah, I think, boy, you know, we could we could probably talk about this for hours and not have enough time. I think it's one, we had to get the Dallas church to a place. I mean, we we moved here, the Dallas church was growing. I think it got up to about 1400 members. And then it was just a free fall uh, for like seven years. And we got down to about 770. And we had, to, I was like, guys, we need help. We need people to come in and, and evaluate us. And so we finally landed on that. We invited uh, a number of people to come in and not just the staff or the elders, but members of the church made some significant changes um, on how we led the church and, you know, um, strategic um, decisions. And literally we went on a 10 year run of growth. Uh, we plateaued uh, about the last two years. Um, so what is it, 18 and 19, we plateaued. You know, we didn't have any big drop-offs. I think one year we grew by three, and the other one we had a negative eight. And again, we had realized we got to make some changes. Negative eight so, people or negative eight percent? Oh, no, people. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, there's no big drop-off. So it was like plus three one year, negative eight the following mm -hmm. year. Mm -hmm. So we had to make some more changes. And this last year, you know, God, God, you know, blessed the church, we grew by eight or 5%. Uh, 
Wow. So, so we kind of pushed through that 1200 mark and we're like um, just getting close to 1300 members. And so I, I think we had to deal with the Dallas church first. We had to address the relationships, how we lead strategically. Uh, what do we need to do with the kind of city that we live in? Cause again, every, like every person, every city is different, has different nuances, strengths, weaknesses. So we've been building on the strengths of the Dallas church and the city. But I think the, then you, then you talk about Texas, um, A.T. Arneson used to be a wrestler uh, in college, and, and he shared this story about how when you have someone who's really good, like a, like a supreme athlete, a wrestler in one weight division, usually the wrestler right below them or right above them will become really good also. It's because, you know, the coach had to have someone wrestle that great athlete. And, you know, I think Mike Tolliver, who we love, we deeply great relationships with both of them. You know, he did this lesson from victory to victory and shared about just a lot of the victories that they've been able to be a part of, which it's a phenomenal series. Well, our joke is that, well, we can, we can do that lesson too, but it would be called from defeat from failure to failure. <laughs> and I want to do that sometime because uh, I'll have him do his victory to victory and we'll come back and, you know, from failure to failure. And, you know, we, we've just built a great friendship and it wasn't based on authority or position of life. It was just like, you know, Mike or Mike and I are about the same age and, um, our families are about the same age. And in fact, two of our boys were roommates in college. And we just built a friendship based on friendship, love. And, you know, Mike and I would wrestle um, emotionally, um, you know, spiritually. We'd have, we'd have talks. We'd have hard talks. You know, I'm, I'm sure there's things about me that Mike would love that doesn't agree with, um, you know, and vice versa. But that's okay because we love each other. We're willing to engage. We can have a fight and then afterwards we go out for a beer mm -hmm. because the relationship is so important. And when you have, um, you know, two out of the four largest churches in our family of churches, just emotionally connected, um, it's going to influence everybody else. You know, you got Doug wins and, uh, and a great staff in Houston and Dave Hooper and a great staff in Austin. Um, and you get the four of us now, we're close. We're, we have great relationships between the four couples and our staffs. Um, our staffs get together. Um, our elderships are having monthly talks on Sunday mornings. And it's just to talk about stuff. And, and you see these, these relationships. Now, it's just not two people it's now groups of people building these relationships. And so we're, we're planting churches. We're, we're um, changing out some of the leadership because of, of uh, moving or getting out of the ministry, whatever it is. And so there's a camaraderie that we're able to love one another. And I think that's been established now for 12, 13 years. And so there's a, there's a high level of trust that, it's it's what's best for the person, not for the church. If we if we do right by the individual, God's going to take care of the church, and so people know that hey, I'm being loved for who I am, not because hey, you know, let's get a few more baptisms out of them. 
um, we're trying to build healthy. And so it, it's just been so encouraging consistently um, over the last 12, 13 years, just seeing how as a group of churches, we're, we're bonding and growing. And it's not easy. It's hard. And sometimes we've got to have hard talks. And sometimes we've got to talk about things that are uncomfortable. But because you know the other person cares for you and wants you to be successful, it's easy to have those kind of talks. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I go back to the early days of Chicago. That's kind of how I build Dallas and Texas. It's like, it was so heartsy. It was so, man, we get to do this for God. This is awesome. <laughs> I remember I remember the first time we talked about having a bring your neighbor day. I was like, oh, we could bring our neighbors? Oh, cool. <laughs> Let's do this. I had four friends come with me to church. And it was, it was just so heartsy, so exciting uh, that we can make a difference. And, you know, that's, that's what we're trying to do in Dallas and Texas. Yeah. You know, I, I just want to say, Todd won't tell you this, but, but from my perspective, I see Todd as being excellent at building team. I mean, he's a strong leader, but he, he just makes all the guys feel like they're part of the team. Like we've seen situations where there's almost an adversarial relationship between maybe the evangelists and the elders or something, because there's just kind of a lack of trust there. And Todd has worked so hard at his relationships that there is such a deep level of trust or before an elders meeting, he pretty much knows how everybody's feeling. He's had lunch with him. He's talked to him on the phone, whatever. So there aren't these intense emotional times where, where someone's just has saved up something and is just, you know, dumping it on the group and, you know, all this turmoil. We we don't have that because he, he gets in there and he, he works with these guys and they feel respected and part of the team. And he does that with the board, with the elders, the other staff guys, everything. Yeah. It's, it's very kind. I think, you know, one of the philosophies that we have, it's, it's what's right, not who's right. Mm-hmm. I don't have to be right. I don't care. I don't, I don't want to be the best, uh, I, you know, play basketball. I don't want to be the best player. If, if I'm going to be the best player, that means we're going to have a really terrible team uh, in whatever I do. But it's, it's what's best, not who's best. And so when we try to move like the Dallas church or even Texas, it's like, okay, what's best, guys? What's, what's best? What's going to glorify God? What's best on, on moving this ministry? It doesn't have to be my ideas. I don't care if they're my ideas. I don't, that's not that important. It's, it's what's right. It's what's best. What's going to be the best for everybody to move the ministry? Mm-hmm. And when you have that kind of philosophy and everyone buys into it, then you don't have these, you know, what I call prima donnas walking around thinking it's got to be their way or the highway. It's like, now, guys, we're, we're a team. Let's, let's build together. Okay. So a couple of questions about that. Texas has definitely been a bright spot. And I think people would point to it and go, well, you're there. Mike Toller there. That's a lot of talent. And uh, you've got other strong leaders in the other larger cities. What have been some of the highlights besides the growth there in Dallas? What kind of planting has gone over, gone on over the past ten or ten or you know ten or fifteen years since two thousand three? Um, so, if you can just give us some highlights. Yeah, well, well, it's not a planting. What I'll call this is I call it the campus ministry fund. So we have a family in the Dallas church that, 
you know, they're, they just wanted to invest. They wanted to invest in the future to build God's kingdom in the future. And they were willing to drop in like, you know, like $100,000, you know, $200,000 a year. And, you know, their, their only request was the other churches participate in this. That was it. You guys come up with a dream, what you want to do. And just as long as you get the other churches to cooperate, we'll give this money. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we call it the Texas Campus Ministry Fund. We're actually doing it in the heartland also. And so you have the large churches working together with this family, you know, dumping in all together, maybe a quarter of a million dollars a year. And we're able to plant, we're able to have campus ministries in cities that would never be able to afford those campus ministries because the churches are so small, like a college station, for instance. Right. Um, we wouldn't have a campus couple if it wasn't for this fund. You know, same thing in other places like Oklahoma City, uh, OU. And so now, uh, because we've established that unity amongst the big churches and this family, um, we're able to go after other places. Like, you know, we're going to start something, we're going to uh, re. The, the leader couple, uh, Tony and Carmen Hill, are moving uh, to the East Coast. And so we're sending a young couple in there. You know, you got Baton Rouge, LSU. And again, the Baton Rouge church is working with Texas. Let, let's build God's kingdom. So you see this unity. So we plant churches like the Valley, Corpus Christi, um, you know, other places like that. I think... Um, one of our so there's a there's a high level of let's work together. I think right now we're we're trying to make sure that we're taking care of some of the smaller churches. So we're kind of coming up with a game plan of if you're under a hundred, let's get everybody to over a hundred. Right. Okay. And and then we'll start going after some of these other places that we want to go for, like Beaumont, Tyler, uh, other places. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big state, big geographically and and populous wise. You're head of the church, what's the name of the committee? Church Growth and Health Committee. Sorry, mm-hmm. is that the, is that the yeah, right title? So you, yeah. you kind of head up a committee made up of disciples from Indonesia and, and Canada who their the growth, the goal of that group is to get other small churches growing. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Like, what are you doing with that? What's the, what's the point of that? Yeah, well, there's, there's there's one committee, but there's actually two subcommittees. Okay. So so the bigger group is called the Church Growth and Health Committee. Within that group, you have Minister Health and Church Growth. And so Darren Overstreet up in Seattle, great brother, great 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 friend, um, working with the the Northwest. Um, he's been focusing on uh, ministers' health, sending out videos, um, getting some experts in our fellowship, just. Because, you know, Marty Fuqua used to say, healthy cows give milk. <laughs> and if you have healthy ministers, healthy emotionally, emotional ministers, guess what? They're going to they're gonna lead their people in a healthy way. And so we're trying to put together content that our fellowship of churches can, can listen to or watch. And just to help us help our ministers get healthy. The other committee is the uh, church growth. And it's just talking about, you know, dynamics, um, strategies. You know, I put a video out maybe a, a couple months ago. Harlem Salim just put a video out a couple weeks ago 
uh, with all the work they've done in Indonesia, which is crazy awesome. It's just blow away. But again, they have healthy, they have a healthy relationships, healthy uh, leadership, which is creating a healthy membership. And so, you know, we're, we're going to be just putting out more content. Uh, I think the ILC in, in Orlando next year, uh, we're going to really focus on both of those things, uh, minister health and church growth. And, but again, healthy cows give milk. And so we're going to be able to grow uh, when we're doing it God's way, uh, focusing on um, glorifying God and, and building in a healthy way that's sustainable. Okay. So, so let me ask you this. I, I mean, it's what Todd, I, I know that I know some of the people on that group, there's, there's you, you lead a church of over a thousand Harlem. He's leading a church of multiple thousands, to, you know, just it's huge Two 2000 plus there's a whole, whole country that he's heading up. I mean, miracles constantly. Andy Fleming used to lead a church where they baptize 800 in a year. I mean, these guys are, are like kingdom celeb celebrities in, in the eyes of many. But what from your life and from your example, how can you scale that down? Let's let's say someone's listening, they're leading a Bible talk in Tokyo right now. Or they're leading a mid-sized church or small-sized church in Spokane, Washington. Or they're leading a, a, a small ministry in Oahu or something like that. And they're not, maybe they are in the professional ministry or they're not, or they're leading a Bible talk, uh, you know, in, in Covina, California or something. I, I don't know. But what can they take from what you've learned to apply to their current situation? How, how can they get their church and their ministry growing right now? What, what one, two, three steps would you take, Todd and Patty? Well, you know, Paul talks to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter um one and two, he talks about entrust to reliable men. I think there's one thing leading a Bible talk. There's another thing making that Bible talk two Bible talks or four Bible talks. And then, you know, same thing with sectors and regions. The, the challenge you start with first is your walk with God, your love for people. You know, God loves us. God loves people. You know, are we lovers of people? Are we lovers of God? Are we, do we, do we really celebrate people when we talk to them you know are are we focused on our discussion with them loving them or are we scanning who we should go talk to um <laughs> next you know what we're talking to them people know people Con know if you're interested in them okay convicted right already okay i got my hand raised Sorry. yeah yeah we got our cell phones we're looking at our cell phones <laughs> talk to somebody it's like you know when when there are people that i've met when they look at you you feel like they're just boring down into your skull because they're focused yeah. on what you're saying to them. Right. And I, I want to be like that. Yeah. I want people to know when I'm talking to them, I'm listening. Yeah. Now I'd love to say I've done that all my life, but I haven't, but I'm trying to be. And so when I engage people, I want them to feel loved and believed in that, that I care. And, and then you start working with reliable people. Hmm. You know, there, there's ways to work with reliable people. You, you give them responsibility, you walk with them, you build a relationship, you know? So, so one of the things we haven't shared about, we've been here for 20 plus years and, you know, we moved down to the South and we were down the South for like 10 years. Oh my gosh. I love that group of people in the South region of the Dallas church, just family. Um, our kids grew up there. Well, the Dallas church was going through some hard times. And so it was decided that we needed to move back to the north. 
And so, you know, we're still in the same church and it was hard leaving a lot of our friends, but there was a huge need for the whole church for us to literally be at the epicenter of the great heartland. And so we moved to where it all, all the center of attention was for like 20 years uh, before us. And so it was populated by a bunch of hurt, frustrated disciples who loved the kingdom, didn't leave the church, didn't move away, but they were just hurt. You know, they, they felt unloved. And, you know, we, we just came and like, we're going to love you. We're going to love this group of people. And we didn't quit. You know, yeah, our feelings were hurt. I'm sure we've hurt other people's feelings, but we're not going to quit loving you. We're, we're going to love you because you're our friends. We're going to build great friendships. And I can share horror stories that we had. Patty could share horror stories. It took two, three years um, to win some people over because, again, they were hurt, but they loved the kingdom. They saw great things happen in the past. And they believed still, they still believed, but they were frustrated. Um, and so, so we're like, hey, you know what? God still loves us. Great things are going to happen. Be patient, be faithful, do it God's way. And this group of people, I am not exaggerating, literally led the way for the next 10 years. Wow. It just, it, it was a great group of people. And we all go through hard things. Even the people who might've led it in the past, they were going through things. But if we're, if we're focused on loving people, not the way I want to love them, but the way they need to be loved. Right. I mean, that's a big, that, there's a clarification there. It's like, I might like to love my wife the way I want to love her, but that doesn't mean she's going to feel like I'm loving her. Right. So I got to figure out, okay, what makes Patty feel loved? And that's a part of my responsibility as a leader. I had to learn how to love these people. And, and I think so, so for these small churches, um, you know, maybe really small churches or medium-sized churches, you gotta learn how to love them and inspire them to do greater things that Jesus did. Mm. I think about that. I was like, oh, I can never do greater things than Jesus did. But then, you know, you're talking about all these kingdom connections and like on, on the world Jesus never did that. He, he, he never had a Zoom call with Indonesia or, <laughs> or Tucson, Arizona, or I'm like, oh my gosh, Jesus is right. You know, we can do greater things. So I, I would say that's a big part. So let me, let me just kind of summarize. So you said, one, basically face down the problem. Go to where the, the problem is most severe. You, you went to a situation in Dallas where it was the epicenter of kind of the heart, the old heart of the church, and you faced it. You faced the problem. You didn't run away from the problem. You decided to really care about people and, and love them, and love them as they needed to be loved, not as you wanted to love them. And then finally, yeah. focusing on raising up reliable people, raising up young leaders. Okay, yeah. Patty? Can I just add one quick sure. before Patty says anything? And it's like now, 12, 13 years later, when we've established that, I think we have seven elders. We're going to appoint more elders. We got what almost 30 members on staff. We have relationships throughout the church. The trust is so high. I think we've hit our special missions contribution, what, 12 years in a row. Um, our budget, we, we keep 
um, underspending and overgiving. Uh, last year, you know, we gave almost three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars to benevolence. Wow! And and it's just people, you know, people are reaching out, they're discipling, they're giving. Um, it's just a great place to be because you know when you put the work in, great things will happen. But you can't run away. You can't run away from a fight. You got, okay. but you got to fight fair. Okay, you got to but- fight. God's way, not the world's way. But one thing I think about in that situation, I go, okay, how do you do that? How do you face a challenging, okay, because that's one of the most common questions people ask me is, how do you motivate mature and middle-aged Christians? What you just shared about is probably the biggest question to the small church leader, because there are a lot of small churches out there that have been out there for 20 or 30 years. They're filled with 30 or 35 disciples that have hung on, you know, they're faithful, but they're they're hurt. They're angry, or they're um, they're not, just not that motivated. They're they're not bringing people out to church. And how do you love people while at the same time having expectations to grow? I mean, my my in, initial thought is like, okay, you can love people, but then is there are you still connected to the mission? You know, just loving just for loving's sake. People, yeah. you know, they're happy just being together, but there's no, nothing gets done to advance the kingdom of God. You know, I think in the beginning, one of the things when we moved to this area is they needed to see us living it and not just telling people what to do or pontificating. I mean, we needed to be bringing our friends out, bringing neighbors and, um, you know, some of our neighbors got baptized, all that kind of stuff. I think that really, really helped. Um, because I I think we did, that was a part of building that trust Todd keeps talking about. That was huge. That was huge. They saw we weren't, they saw we were actually doing what we were telling them to do, Mm -hmm. uh, whether or not it was, you know, reaching out, bringing visitors, our marriage, our kids, uh, and that was huge. And so we we set an example, uh, to this group and they responded. I mean, that's really, in some ways, that's all they needed to see saying, oh, okay, you're not just telling us what you learned, you're actually doing it, what you're telling us. Right, right. And so, you know, I think, and, and again, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to just sit there and, and think, oh, you just love people. And that's it. You know, just all you gotta do is love people. No, there's, there's so much, like I said, we can be hours here. Sure. Right. But yeah. I remember, yeah, I remember a brother, he's still faithful, him and his wife, phenomenal couple, Jamie De, De Palma is here in the Dallas church. Uh, you know, he, he was in the military, went back to college and we were discipling them down in Arlington. And, and I remember he said this like 20 plus years ago, he said, you know, Todd, when I get together with you, I'm encouraged, challenged, and a little ticked off. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, that is the nicest compliment anyone's ever given to me in the ministry. <laughs> And I knew what he meant. He loves us. He loves me. He still loves me. We, I love his family. He's got two awesome boys and a daughter. And, mm. and, and I just, man, when you get together with people, you want to encourage. You want to challenge them. Yeah. But sometimes you need to poke the bear and, <laughs> and tick people off a little bit. Yeah. But when they know it's in love, people respond. Yeah, yeah. that's impressive. Well, thank you guys so much for your your time. And again, we could just keep keep talking longer and longer. But any final advice for for a person who wants to make a a life where 
there's no regrets. You just die feeling like, hey, I, I put it all out there. And someone who really wants to make this life count. This almost sounds trite, but I think just always trying to do it God's way. And sometimes we fail at that. Sometimes we don't know what that looks like, all that. But I think the only thing we can really regret is when we just quit trying. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, um, you know, I look back in the last 30 plus 35, whatever years it is uh, in the ministry and as a disciple, I might regret looking back at maybe some of the stupid things I've said, maybe hurtful. And I, so I got to really guard my tongue. I think I've learned that as I've gotten older, I've done better, but I still need to watch that. I think I can't think of any regrets. Honestly, I just, I love, I love what's happened. I love what God's doing in our lives. I want to give all my heart. Maybe the one thing I wish I would have done differently is learn a second language like you, um, learning Japanese. And I, I really do regret that, not really pushing myself to learn a second language because I think it's hurt my effectiveness maybe in places that we could have helped a little bit more. But I, I would say, I would say, honestly, if you give your whole heart fully, you're not going to look back and, and have regrets because mm. I don't. Those things, it's like, yeah. amen. It's not that big of a deal. But before we're done, I do want to say thank you to you and Pam. We love and respect you guys so much. And what you're doing with the Churches Under 100 workshop and just how you're trying to build. Um, you guys are gifted, kingdom treasures. And it, it's such an honor um, just hearing your ideas and, and um, your thoughts. What a blessing that is. And we love you guys deeply. Oh. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's really encouraging. And I appreciate your friendship. And I've learned so much from you guys. You guys have helped us, Pam and I, so much, especially over the last probably five or six years that we've really got to know you. I know Pam uh, knew, knew Patty from back in the days in Boston um, in the 80s, but it's been, it's been a blessing. Thank you so much. And thanks for coming on the program today. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd like to ask you a favor. Please let your friends know about where it is, how to find it. Let your church friends know, your family, and please spread the word. Please pray for the work that we're sending out this summer to Flagstaff, Arizona. And we're also uh, trying to get a church going, uh, a replant in Hilo, Hawaii. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count live a no-regrets life, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Have a great day, and make this life count.